Hi, this is Cliff Griego for the picture-poems.com website and the circle in the square. Thanks for tuning in. It's Tuesday, the 5th of February, 2019. And as you might know, this is uh, the Lunar New Year thereabouts. And um, I wanted to mark the occasion by trying something a little bit different. This is a um, field notes report, in principle. We're up here at uh, Heartbreak Meadow at about 1,450 meters. It's the dead of winter. Uh, you might hear a little bit of light snow falling on our tent here. But otherwise, we're warm, dry, and uh, comfortable. And uh, I'll be referring to the picture-poems.com slash calendars page. And so you might want to pull that up. There are 15 new calendars for this uh, season. And the ones I'll be uh, talking about are at the very bottom. So first at the bottom, if you don't use that, it's quite popular. You can download it for free as a uh, PDF or ebook. It's the uh, solar lunar calendar. Now, uh, what's that all about? Um, there's a little um, aphorism there. It's kind of a question. A culture with only one calendar is an inherently imbalanced culture. A culture with only one calendar is an inherently imbalanced culture. So what is that about? Well, first and foremost, it's a, it's a question. Is that true? Well, we all, all know this difference between Western and Eastern culture. In the West, we've opted to have a, uh, without going into detail, a strictly solar calendar, the 365 days of the year, and it's always the same, and it's as if Time itself is a um, perfectly neutral ruler and that there are no real differences. We all know, especially in the temperate latitudes, that there are seasons, but, uh, you know, uh, February the 5th is uh, pretty much the same as July the 5th. This might be a little bit warmer or colder, depending on which hemisphere you're in. But they're like, in Western culture, they're seen as neutral slots. And, um, well, the moon is out there. That's a, some something like a 28-day uh, uh, cycle. We all know it's important, and, you know, the tides are moving. But uh, the rhythm of the two? Well, in Western culture, we've kind of banned that to this obscure periphery. And personally, for some time now, I think that's a very profound mistake. That's the sound of white snow falling on our tent here. But again, we're perfectly warm and comfortable. Now, the, the main calendar, this is just an upbeat. The main calendar that I wanted to um, talk about is White Barks of the Wallawas. 
that's directly above the uh, lunar calendar. So first you go through the uh, Cliff Card uh, Twitter feed. That's where you can find all these neat photographs and books and calendars where you can either download them for free or if you wish to contribute to our uh, field work here, um, you can purchase a hard copy. But of course, that always involves dead trees, doesn't it? But anyway, um, the lunar calendar, so the year of the pig. Well, there's a very profound insight of Chinese culture here. Not that I understand it, but I do have a sense of the lunar rhythms because I watch them very carefully. So as a mathematician or as a composer or someone concerned about rhythm, just consider the following, that the solar rhythm, you notice on that gray, very simple calendar, we have at the top winter solstice, so we're just coming out of that. I see it as a time, and we're moving in a very broad, general sense to summer solstice in the northern hemisphere. Our colleagues and friends in the southern hemisphere are doing the reverse. So we're moving from winter, the top, the north, symbolically going to the south, the summer hemisphere. And I've mentioned this before. The Greeks had a very beautiful tradition, I've been told. That's where our words crescendo decrescendo, so something that's growing and something that's degrowing or decreasing, becoming smaller. So you can imagine the light becoming bigger and then smaller, like the flame of a calendar. Well, and we have that beautiful graphic display in music of the crescendo, the hairpins getting bigger. It's very intuitive, analog and then becoming smaller. It's a beautiful way to teach rhythm of both music and dance, and of course our great seasons here on planet Earth, that we're increasing, going, we're moving now from this lunar new year, the 5th or thereabouts of February, to June the 21st, the south of our calendar. So that rhythm a two-beat rhythm is very constant, very constant. And it's something to get to know. And it's also anchoring our perception in a newly chaotic time with the crisis of climate and how things are changing as we speak. Here at Heartbreak Meadows, we're in a kind of uh, intense uh, experience, direct experience. If you want to know the climate, go to the climate. So we're out here fully exposed and very dependent on uh, uh, primal mountaineering skills just to keep the show running, so to speak. And I have to say that the snow conditions here are absolutely appallingly terrible. And it, it's, that means it's very, as a um, mountaineer, it's extremely difficult to work with. Why? Because of all this damn rain on top of snow. And uh, too warm temperatures. Once uh, 
uh, even if you do have, like we're on, a, on top of a meter or thereabouts of snow here, but because it's rained during this past uh, winter season, say the past two months of continuous snowpack, at least five times in a very major way, you can dig down and make your snow profile, and you'll see um, the ice layers and first and foremost, the ground layer is covered with a thick layer of ice. So the, the water has uh, um, drained all the way down to the bottom, which is exceptional, and then made a thick ice layer, which is frozen and sealed off the ground. So if you were a pocket gopher, you would not be a happy camper, because that means they're basically uh, trapped down below but our theme is not so much the snowpack but just to give you an idea that these to have a sense of the solar rhythm like we're also celebrating candle mass time which has nothing to do with the um, if you were a German speaker with the Catholic Church and you know, colonizing that as one of the uh, formal church uh, holidays, but it has to do with one-eighth of the very uh, uh, pagan, very spiritual solar year. It's when the energy of the earth, depending on your location, begins to modulate in a deep and profound way. So we're getting ahead of ourselves, but you notice if you're looking at that um, lunar calendar, that it's subdivided in very neat uh, doubling. So we have the half, and then we have the quarter, and then we have the eighth. And you could keep subdividing, it depends on your purpose. But um, that's obviously in our primal sense, if you had no calendar and had no clock, or even the concepts thereof, but we're living with the rhythms of Mother Nature, you would watch that very, very carefully. First and foremost, you would not want to know the Greek crescendo, decrescendo. When is it going to start decreasing? You would want to know that in market was summer solstice, which means a standstill of the sun. When the sun reverses its journey higher in the heavens and starts to recede. Well, we have our um, very regular rhythms of the solar calendar. Now, what's superimposed, and it really is a composite, is the lunar rhythm. Now, because that is in a natural way marvelously complex that means manyfold it will be new each solar year how those two rhythms fit together is one of the most important things to really watch because we have the ebb and flood of the, we have the waxing and waning of the uh, lunar rhythm which is superimposed on the much more constant solar rhythm. Well, that's something to meditate on because they're not exactly commensurate, right? So it's going to be different within, uh, say, for example, the lifetime of any organism 
going from the human, say, for 60, 70, 80, 100 years or whatever it is, uh, to that of a white bark pine, a millennium or two, so a thousand, two thousand years old, that, that will be different every single year, the subtleties of that composite. Again, that's the sound of fairly wet snowflakes. The barometer is very uh, steeply ascending, so we're getting into a, a quickly moving cold front. So this really isn't snow. This is a, we're sitting more inside of a cloud, no visibility. It's about minus 10 C, and, uh, but I don't expect that we're going to pick up more snow. So we'll move on to our main theme here. So any culture with only one culture is an inherently imbalanced culture. So that's something to meditate on. I would suggest that Western culture is in many ways inherently imbalanced. And this is one of the areas that the imbalance comes out in a very subtle way. That we're missing a very profound rhythm. How are we missing it? Well, it's important to call attention to these things, especially children. For example, in my own view, the performance of poetry and music is something that celebrates the lunar solar calendar and marks it in both a personal and a ritual form. I suppose that's what we're doing right now. So let's uh, move on to the uh, white barks of the Wallawas. Let's pull that up here. That um, this is a new calendar, and I need your help with it uh, because the reason I put these in calendars are usually upbeats uh, for uh, kind of dress rehearsals for future uh, photo books. So it's a way for me technically of pulling together photographs and finding the right kind of text to go with them and all the rest of it. Well, this is um, uh, a two-year-plus uh, cycle, so I think it's about 27, 28 photographs. And they all have little, um, we hope, uh, concise, uh, descriptive texts. And it begins with the title, gee, the, uh, because there are many possible titles, of course. Uh, uh, we're not, the thing that's nice about the print versions of these uh, calendars is that they're basically uh, two things. They're indestructible, in a way, relatively. And uh, uh, you get uh, um, 8 by 10 or thereabout uh, prints. Uh, at a very uh, uh, low uh, uh, cost. Um, so they're fun to have around, and they're not really meant to hang on the wall, but they're meant more uh, as uh, something to put in your backpack to meditate on or have on a, a cafe table or a, a coffee table or something like that, and to look at repeatedly and show to friends and whatnot. So our first photograph and white barks of the Wallawas. Uh 
Let me just mention the radical decline of a keystone species. You see, as, uh, compositionally, that's an interesting phrase because we could take radical out, the decline of a keystone species. That's a little bit more concise. Uh, so, but radical is perhaps necessary in the current era. It's always going to be relative to context, right? So, in the present era of uh, almost universal, you could say, um, uh, very profound, indecisive inaction with regard to climate crisis, that we don't want to actually see what's going on. So putting radical uh, in the phrase is a kind of clarion or wake-up call. And we could say, to make it even stronger, collapse. The radical collapse, well that wouldn't work, huh? The collapse of a keystone species. Perhaps that would be a better title. What do you think? The collapse? Because it really is, in my view, a collapse. Um, Whitebark pines, as you might know, they're a five-needle pine. In North America, we have different five-needle pines. We, for example, we have the white pines. They're, they have basically gone locally extinct already in the Pacific Northwest. Largely because of both climate crisis, the, the hotter, drier climate, but especially uh, blister rust. Perhaps we'll touch on that again. That's an invasive fungus that was introduced around 1910 or thereabouts. Um, collapse five needle pines, but they're also related to the bristle cones, which we don't have here but are the um, marvelous species south of where I'm speaking right now. But let's look at this photo. So we'll, we'll keep that for the time being, the radical decline of a keystone species. That's what I was going to say. The white barks are up for um, endangered species status in North America. And I don't really want to talk about whether they're that endangered, or they're definitely locally that endangered. My own view is that uh, they are genetically so robust and so experienced that they will um, adapt by withdrawing into refugia, that's is areas of a more auspicious climates. So what I would expect to see on the long term, talking over 100-year cycles, is that they, for example, here in the Wallawas, I think that they will uh, most likely, within, say, 50, 100, 200 years, be very rare, if not locally extinct. And why? Because of a hotter, drier climate. That's the main theme of our field note uh, report, looking at this calendar. The other thing I want to mention is that the photograph, so we're looking at a peak I call Lost Glacier Peak. That's pretty much dead center of the photograph. The trees that are surrounding us here at the top. This, we're standing on top of Eagle Cap. 
Those are all um, white bark pines at the top of their range. So it's at about uh, 2,900 meters, 10,000 feet or so in round numbers without trying to be too precise. And uh, let me just say that this is a cross-section of the entire range. Let's pause for a moment here. So the first thing I'd like to mention about this cover photo for our white bark calendar is that, um, let me see if I can find it again here. Forgive me. How did this get all out of whack here? We're improvising here, so forgive us. There are a lot of photos here. Here we go. There's our. There it is. So we're standing on Eagle Cap, and for those of you who haven't yet uh, visited uh, Northeast Oregon and the Wallowas, <clears throat> excuse me, in the Eagle Cap wilderness, we're standing right in the center. And... Uh, yeah, now, I guess now is a good time to talk about that. It, uh, I always tell people that the Wallowas or the Eagle Cap Wilderness are like a wheel. And the neutral hub of the wheel, which does not turn, is in my view very appropriately named Eagle Cap. So we're standing right on the neutral hub of the wheel, looking to the southeast or thereabouts without trying to be too precise. And there are many things that make the uh, wilderness, the Eagle Cap wilderness, unique. The Wallowas, that's a more general term, by the way, which includes all the national forests. But again, without trying to be too precise, for me it's just one hole. It's about one-sixth the size of Holland, or one-sixth the size of, of uh, Switzerland. Entirely roadless, without huts, undeveloped, wild. But still right in the middle of climate crisis, so we'll come back to that. So we have this wheel... And from this neutral center, radiate out like the spokes of a wheel. It's a beautiful image. Magnificent rivers. So we have, where I'm standing here, we're looking right at the headwaters of the Wallawa River. And then a little bit south of that, we have the Great Imnaha, which is worth many lifetimes just in itself. That's from the tops 
of the mountains that we see in the distance there. That's its source. Again, in round numbers, say about 3,000 meters. And that runs 80 kilometers. We're talking about the Amnaha. We'll come back to that. It's in one of our one or two of our photos. Again, that's the sound of light snowfall on our tent. It's a little bit in the sound with the uh, without even opening the vestibule door. We know that it is heavy snow. You can tell by the sound. <clears throat> that means there's a lot of water content in the snow. That's not what we're looking for. But back to our wheel, with all these rivers, so we have the Amnaha, we have the Eagle, we have uh, the Wulawa, we have the Lostine, we have the Minam. Uh, they're all radiating out, basically, again, without trying to be too precise, exactly where we're standing for this cover photograph. And again, the pines in the foreground, they're what you call Krumholz, crooked wood from the German. They could be two or three, four hundred years old. They're um, at the very top of their range here, and they've adapted their form to the very, from the human perspective, austere, uh, conditions, intense UV, intense cold, intense winds. Uh, but again, that's from the human perspective. Uh, from the tree's point of view, perhaps it's uh, not as austere as we think. But be that as may, that this is the top of its range. So this wheel I think of using the great uh, Hindu yoga tradition is a mandala, a wheel of turning energy. And we can look at that in different ways. It can be a, a metaphor of a wheel that's turning, so that gives it a direction. In my view, it's always turning um, counterclockwise. So perhaps we're... By going counterclockwise, we're exiting time, the hold of time. But that's how I sense it. And I've come to doing a uh, um, pilgrimage each year. I've done it six or seven times. It's about a eight-week pilgrimage, entirely on foot and mountain bike. It's later in the season, so there are no skis or snowshoes like now involved. Rain and snow, you can hear, is picking up. Well, we'll hope for the best. And, uh, oh, we're getting a little bit of graupel now. So, that's a sign of the cold front. It's getting colder higher up. Well, this is a field notes report, isn't it? So we'll take it as it comes. And but going around the entire range on foot, basically. And what I do is I take my um, trusty uh, mountain bike, uh, uh, push bike with a Bob uh, trailer with about 100 kilos of gear. And I go very slowly from each of those magnificent uh, rivers 
starting at Eagle Creek and then going to Pine Creek, going to the Naha, going to the Warawa, going to the Lostine, going to the Minam, all the way around through the disaster of the little town of uh, La Grande, in back into the Warawas at Catherine Creek, and again joining up full circle at Eagle Creek. So that takes about eight weeks or so. And I'll cash the bike with all its gear and change over to boots and backpack. And then head out, depending on the terrain, for oh, oh, five, six, seven, eight days. And then come back and hopefully the bike is still there. And then um, head back downstream, on, usually on a dirt track. You push the bike as far as you can take it. I'm trying to encourage young people to try this bike packing. Uh, so you have uh, everything you need, and especially what you don't need, and that's really the main theme of our field notes report, is the ethics of climate crisis. We don't need a car. What do you need a car for? Not only do you not need a car, if you're still using a car, <clears throat> and still uh, so deeply embedded in what we call hydroman culture, then I would uh, beg you to pause for a moment and reconsider what you're doing. One of the primary causes, forget about all the politics of climate crisis, that's just a reflection of our own confusion. And first and foremost, that we have a culture that's almost entirely devoid of ethics. And in my view, ethics is only going to tell you things that you don't want to do. First, do no harm. So it's essentially about relationship and nonviolence in relationship. And nonviolence in relationship is always about stopping doing something that's habitual. And it's self-evidently that way in waging war and all the rest of it. But that's the easy part, the more difficult part of the ethics of nonviolence is looking at ourselves, our own relationships. And up here it begins, of course, with our relationship with the trees and the earth. So what are we doing up here that's affecting the trees directly? People ask me, well, here's a whole calendar, 27 photos, and they say radical decline of a keystone Species. Well, keystone means that, just be simple, that it's important. It's not just important. It might be one of the most important being species up here that's holding the whole web of life together. So that's a question we want to find out. We're going to the pines to find out. We listen to lectures, we read books, we study the literature, but first and foremost, we want to be here to actually live with the pines. And of course, with the great Clark's nutcrackers. We'll come back to them if we don't get drowned out by the snow here. So a mandala, every year, like our lunar calendar going around, the ancient Old English word Vritishins, going against the direction of the sun. Yes, we're getting growful now. That's going to be noisy. 
So that's forming, we're almost in a cloud. But we don't expect to get much uh, snow. It's just gonna be a little bit noisy. So I can tell you that um, hydrocarbon man, one of the first things that cars take away from, you see cars would be destructive even with all due respect to the great Elon Musk and the new S Tesla running entirely electric, which is self-evidently the future now that they've moved into producing the S, I think, in China as well. So that's an investment tip, get out of hydrocarbons fast. That, um, well, it's not just that, uh, what is it? Uh, for every kilometer that you're putting up 250 grams of carbon into the atmosphere. It's not just your carbon footprint that is so destructive, self-evidently destructive. So when people ask me about the trees, well, what's killing the trees? I, I simply say, we are. We are. We're the cause of the hotter, drier climate. And in my view, the things that are affecting Mother Nature, locally in the Eagle Cap Wilderness, climate crisis is hands down the dominant formative force. And then there are secondary things like uh, uh, pandemics of uh, mountain pine beetles and invasive non-species uh, fungus like uh, blister rust and all the rest of it. But the primary driver is in my view climate crisis. And all you gotta do is come up here for a winter and you'll figure that out very quickly. Because you'll, if you have any experience, you'll ask yourself, what the hell is going on? Winter alpinism has become much, much more dangerous in North America and in the Alps than it used to be because it's become much more unpredictable. Perhaps we'll come back to that. But this mandala, what do cars take away from us? Well, they take away uh, a great deal. First and foremost, the rhythm and the sense of the pulse of the living land. So I always tell people, it's a, it's a meditation when you're entirely on foot, you begin to watch very carefully the influence of hydrocarbon man in our relationship with very aware people. These are backpackers, climbers, skiers that are very anxious to get into the wilderness. And so they will take their SUV or some suitable outdoor rig and drive it just as far as they can, to road's end. Now, what have they seen from that journey from Portland or Seattle or San Francisco or wherever, all the way to road's end? Absolutely nothing. And then reasonably fit and trained and outfitted with the newest of gear, they'll boot up and pack up and get ready to head into the wilderness and really only stay a week or two. And then they're gone and reverse the same thing. 
and the whole movement from where they actually live and work into the wilderness has been totally fragmented. In the lower altitudes, you see the wilderness is always the more rugged part of the mountains in North America, which became wilderness by and large because they could not be logged and there weren't any real trees of value at the higher altitudes anyway. But luckily we have that legacy. So what would they know? Nothing of the transition. And it's in the transition that the mysteries of climate crisis will begin to be revealed to the point of being self-evident. So one of the themes of our calendar, maybe we should do this a little bit more quickly than I had intended because it's going to get too noisy, I think. But it, it'll be a start. Let's call this chapter one of the uh, White Parks of the Wallawa calendar to get you started into download, it's a free download, and look at uh, on your reader, phone, or a laptop uh, computer at home. So looking out over that cover photo, just imagine going up all those peaks and down those valleys. What a magnificent landscape, full of rich, complex, wonderful, opportunity, the best water in the world, with one of the most magnificent of trees, Pinus albicaulis, with its equally magnificent symbiont, the Clark's Nutcracker. That should be the beginning of our story. Let's go to page two, healthy white bark pine at 2,500 meters Lost Glacier Peak. That's a good snow year. So we're at 2,500 meters. Notice we're on solid granite with very, all the trees that you see are um, white bark pines. It's important they're producing cones. It's important to watch. And this is also at the very center of this mandala of the great eagle cap wilderness. So it's entirely roadless. Again, it's about one-sixth. Wrap your head around that if you're European. One-sixth the size of Switzerland. And that's not enough. That's not enough just to bring us down to Earth and to be grateful for this North American hydrocarbon man that always must have more that that's not enough. It would take a thousand lifetimes to get to know that area of the Eagle Cap Wilderness. At least a thousand. And yet the culture here, the Eagle Caps are surrounded by little towns which basically, in my view, are not in any way whatsoever spiritually touched in a deep sense by the wilderness, which is at their very center. Isn't that remarkable?
Isn't that remarkable? Well, let's move quickly here. In my view, these, an area like here, it's called Lost Glacier. Officially on the map, it's Glacier Lake. I'll just do this spray. The snow fields you're looking at, that's the former Binson Glacier. The, use, the ice used to run all the way down into the water of the lake at about 2,500 meters. So again, in rough numbers, you have about 500, half a kilometer of altitude difference. And that ice used to be so thick that it uh, you couldn't see the granite on the distant peak. There was a bergschrund there. We lost about 200 meters of ice. And it lost its status as an official glacier all the way back in 1937. Binson is a somewhat obscure name like many of the names in the mountains. They have no real spiritual significance, which is unfortunate. But uh, I think Binson was a former governor. But uh, as the case may be, for better or worse, we call it the Binson. And now, I think it's important, especially for young people, that's no longer Glacier Peak. It should be called Lost Glacier Peak. How does that Confucius saying go? The beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper name. So as a ritual, the first poetry is the poetry of place, the names of places. And personally, I've seen that poetry disappear right before my eyes in the Alps. And I've become very sensitive to the names, the sounds, uh, which do or do not resonate with um, powerful places in the landscape. So I'm suggesting we should call it the Lost Glacier. And I'm also suggesting, <clears throat> as a guess, that this will become a refuge as the climate, as it uh, um, undoubtedly will, becomes even hotter and drier. We're just beginning with a hotter and drier climate. What I tell people is that the snow level is going up, even though it's snowing right here, about two centimeters a day. That's the line that divides rain from snow. This meadow, Heartbreak Meadow, where we were doing our base camp field note report, has been visited by at least five rain events on top of snow, which just a decade ago would not have taken place. Now, who is what? No one is watching this. Climate crisis is infinitely subtle. And the only way you can really, in a deep, not just emotional, but in a deeper spiritual sense, to begin to attune to what's actually happening is by living it. Coming out here and experiencing it. And that, I think, is where the energy comes from to be ethically responsible, to do the right things even though they're difficult, to make the obvious necessary things of reducing your carbon, our carbon footprint by simply radically turning to follow the sun. 
to have a renewable, not just culture, but spiritual being that's entirely based on natural, non-destructive forms of energy. So this will most likely become a refuge where, as um, I tell people that, okay, we have the wheel. Now imagine the wheel of the Wallawas, the wilderness, as a cone, a three-dimensional cone. Now imagine a rope drawn all the way around that cone. Now imagine that rope being a noose, which is being pulled tighter. Now imagine that rope to be red on top of a white cone. Now above the red line of the noose, it's white. Below, it's black. Now or brown. Now imagine that noose going up and up and up. That is the snow line. That noose around the whole of the Wallawas, the whole of the Alps, pick your range, even in the Himalayas, is being drawn tighter and tighter and tighter. Well, at a certain point here in the Wallawas, certainly, it's going to reach the top. And that noose, the whitebark pines are retreating with that noose. There you have it. I've never really quite thought or said that before. They're following in tree time. That means relatively slowly but fast enough to be observed year by year, season by season. They're going higher and higher. So in a way you could say that white bark pines are the polar bears of trees. They're being pushed off the mountain. Well, at a certain point, at 3,000 meters, they can't in the Wallawas go any higher. So they will become locally rare, if not extinct. And that's happening right before our eyes. A keystone species is disappearing right before our eyes. And how do we see this? Well, the entire, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but the entire bandwidth, I call it, of the altitudinal habitat of whitebark pines in the Wallawas is only from 2,100 meters, about 7,200 feet, to 10,000 feet or 3,000 meters in round numbers. So, without trying to be too precise, it's eight or 900 meters. That's it. And what's quite remarkable, if we go, and we're still on this second photo, of our refuge, looking at Lost Glacier Peak, The snow's declining a bit now. Well, below 2100 meters, they do what I call click out. Now, what is clicking out is climate. That's what we miss if we drive our SUVs and trucks all the way to trails. What you want to do is simply walk to do your push bike. And as we climb and climb and climb, it might take you a day or even a week to get to the official wilderness, but you'll never forget it. 
You'll never forget how dry it is, how the forest is drying out. And don't forget in North America, below 1,300 meters, you're going to be out into the sagebrush steppe. So you're beginning in land which is too dry to support forests. So that red noose we were talking about of the ever increasing in altitude, that means going higher and higher, snow line, two centimeters a day, that comes out to about 10 meters a year. So it's happening so fast you can actually see it happening if you take notes, make photographs, keep a diary. And it's just starting. That tendency, that's our prediction, that it can only increase as climate crisis intensifies. Will it intensify? Most certainly. Why? Because even if we were to stop carbon emissions right here, right now, Lunar New Year 2019, February the 5th. The carbon levels in the atmosphere haven't been this high. Pick your number. One, two, three, six million years. So the carbon budget that we talk about with these IPCC reports and Copenhagen and Paris agreements, 1.5 degrees, 2 degrees Celsius, I mean, that's already been blown through, very most likely. That we're in for, even if we were to stop right now, for much more than just 1.5 degrees Celsius. And what's important, and perhaps we should end this chapter of our field notes reports with this calendar, otherwise it'll become too old too, too large to upload from the field, that um, we're just getting started. And that's why, ethically, if we were clear-sighted, that means not tied to the baggage of the past, to our hydrocarbon man luxuries and perks, And don't forget that I uh, consider myself to be a hydrocarbon man. And even though I haven't driven for decades and advocate um, going vegan and getting, not selling your vehicles, but uh, fully recycling them and advocating others do the same as quickly as possible. And simply turning and fully embrace the sun and step by step, very quickly, making sure that everything is renewable, and especially reducing one's footprint, and especially, especially becoming ethically aware of the more subtle aspects of our relationship with each other and the earth. And the essence of that is nonviolence and dialogue, I think. That's how we become aware together. So I still consider myself a hydrocarbon man. I'm looking at my beloved uh, 
white uh, gas stove in winter. I also have a uh, BioLite wood stove which generates electricity to charge devices like the one we're recording with. But let me tell you, it's tough running the BioLite as it's actually snowing. And if you don't have a um, reserve of finger size length uh, wood and don't have a tent with a chimney. Well, you can just imagine, you're generating a lot of smoke. It's very difficult. On this last loop, I've been out now for, what, 10, 9, 10, 11 days. Uh, the first half of it, I managed to do in the dead of winter with BioLite. And then once I got into a climate crisis rain event, I said, well, that's enough of that. So I switched back to hydrocarbons, so that's a confession. And uh, so someone come up with a solar-powered uh, electric backpack stove. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I'm sure it's not long before we can do that. So we're all in this together. Let me look quickly at the photos we're missing. I hope you download this calendar. Again, it's at uh, picture-poems.com slash calendars. The next photograph, I'll do it very quickly, is another refugium that I've selected at 2,400 meters. And I didn't put it in the calendar. I just couldn't, I just, for some reason, it just brought tears to my eyes. These trees are already dead. That's page three, photograph three. I took that out. And if you were strict in helping me, you say, Cliff, you better keep that in. And note that there growing on that magnificent Wallawa greenstone, which geologists tell me is a quarter of a billion years old. So much for the creationist. Now, the fourth photograph is Crag Peak in the distance, uh, about 2,400 meters. It's just to give you an idea of the uh, form of the alpine forest. So the more oval forming pines with the characteristic out, um, they're like arms reaching out to the sky with a wider profile. Those are white bark pines. And next to them are the ones biologists will give me a hard time. Those are subalpine firs in Engelman spruce and I call them spire firs and fiddletop spruce. Again, wisdom begins by calling things their proper name. So we use them. We can use the Latin if you want, uh, Picea, Engelmani, Abies, Lacio, Carpa, and all the rest of it. But I'm thinking mostly of the poetry for children. Uh, fiddletop spruce, honoring the great Stradivari in the Norwegian spruces of where I'm partly based in the Alps. They're the tops of the great Stradivari violins, which I've been told are increasingly difficult to find. Not the tops, but healthy Norwegian spruce. So, Fiddletop Spruce. Spire firs. White bark pine. So the the branches are outstretched, 
And that's because they're offering their cones to the great Clark's Nutcrackers. They have unique cones, very large, unique in the pine realm because they don't open. So they're totally dependent. It's an asymmetrical. I'll just do this very quickly to get you interested. It's an asymmetrical symbiosis. The pines are completely dependent on the Nutcrackers. The Nutcrackers are only um, partially dependent on the pines because they can also harvest ponderosa. I see them increasingly going down to lower altitudes to hunt uh, ponderosa. They're not really nuts, they're seeds. And um, But uh, going back to that photograph of the uh, white bark pines, well, they're totally dependent on those nutcrackers. So if the nutcrackers are not getting enough seeds, eventually they'll shift their terrain. And don't forget here at 1450 meters, there are no nutcrackers because there are no whitebark pines. I have to climb up almost a vertical, more than a vertical kilometer through the snow in skis and snowshoes pulling my station wagon sled. It's a journey of uh, one or two or three days depending on snow conditions. And then I top out at a meadow that's about 2,100 meters, and all of a sudden, the pines, the white bark pines, are there. And that's the wonder of climate. So what I will have done very quickly is gone through five what I call degrees of climate. So every 100 meters, it becomes one degree Celsius colder in round numbers with dry air. So that's a degree of climate. Well, again, I'm doing this very quickly just to get you excited. Um, then the next photograph is a little cabin with two matriarchs, very large white bark pines. Um, and I uh, uh, talk about that very thing, about uh, the bandwidth, degrees of climate, how they click in and out. And uh, those pines in, uh, surrounding and protecting, by the way, the cabin, they're protecting it from avalanches, um, are probably about three or 400 years old and are also in uh, various states of uh, uh, having problems dealing with the hotter, drier climate, white pine blister rust, mountain pine beetle. But anyway, um, the trees in this area are in general steep uh, decline. Let me see here. Then the next one is with my uh, close friend, the field biologist, David Landrum, is teaching me, showing me about um, mountain pine beetles. So I tried to, in one image, show you um, some of the things to look out for. There's that little rice-sized um, mountain pine beetle, which has been so devastating. And if you want to find out more about that, there's a uh, cliff card at the top right that's at a different uh, URL uh, address. That's picture-poems.com slash whitebarks. So that's where you can find everything I've put together over the past eight years or so. All the information, books, uh, radio talks, uh, YouTube videos, magazine articles, my own work. Although this calendar hasn't been put there, I'll have to do that when I get back down to the office.
in a week or so. Uh, but anyway, that's a good um, place to check out in addition to the slash calendars page if you want to find out more about uh, whitebark pines. Let's see here. Uh, let's take this as our last photograph for now. White pines at 2,900 meters. It's the one where you see this kind of dirty granite gray ice field. Well, now um, you might remember looking at that uh, uh, pristine photo of looking up at Lost Glacier Peak. Well, now I'm standing on top of that peak. And as we go higher, of course, the trees become two things, smaller and smaller. And by and large, without trying to be too precise, they do become healthier and healthier. Why? Because of the effects of a hotter, drier climate. Obviously, if it's getting to one degree Celsius colder with every hundred meters of altitude increase, well, the effects at higher altitude are um, softened, so to speak. But that noose, that red noose of snow line going up and up and up is already affecting trees even at the top of the mandala, the top of the wheel, the top of the hole of the Eagle Cap Wilderness. So there we're looking at that. Uh, you can learn how to read photos like this. The granite gray dirty ice is just that. That's bare glacier ice. Well, any glaciologist will tell you in a photograph made in summer, what you don't want to see is bare glacier ice. That's a sign that the mass of the ice field will most certainly be declining. And that's what's happening worldwide. And then you can learn to, if you read to the left or right of the periphery, you see that there are different shades of permanent snow, of the older snow. Well, that's actually from different years. So you can almost read it like the layers of an onion. That's the principle that is used. It's very simple. It's very uh, uh, similar to the growth rings of the tree itself. By the way, there is a... Um, a growth ring diagram of white bark pines where I map from 1750 to the present if you keep going through the um, photos of the calendar. But uh, you can learn to read that and that's how we're getting these readouts that go back almost a million years now, I think, from Greenland and Antarctica showing us the changes in temperature, climate, atmospheric composition, and all the rest. But anyway, it's very sad to see the decline of the Great Benson Glacier, now Benson Icefield. And, um, well, but at the same time, it's wonderful to see these healthy white bark pines at the top of the range. So it's a lot to think about, a lot to talk about. Well, that's it for now. Thanks uh, for listening. I'll see if I can post this uh, Field Notes report right now to SoundCloud if it hasn't gotten too long. And check that out. So that's uh, picture-poems.com slash whitebarks.
and picture-poems.com slash calendars. And uh, scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there you'll find uh, the calendar we've been looking at together, White Barks of the Wallows. And wouldn't you know it, our Graupel snow has stopped, <laughs> and uh, it's still very early in the morning. Maybe the mist will even clear so we can do a little bit of a sun charge this morning and afternoon and warm up a little bit. Okay, well, thanks for listening. Spread the word. Ciao for now.